go into Ephesians again. And tonight, we're going to go way back to Genesis. I'm going to try to rob Sean's thunder for Sunday. So we'll see what we can do here. <laughs> Since he's going into Genesis now, I told him tonight I'm going to be studying that. He's like, what are you doing in there? <laughs> you got a little t- ter- territorial. No, it's... Uh, what we're going to be going through is uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 tonight. We're going to finish up chapter 2. And there's a lot of history that we need to know to be able to go through these. And I really feel that, you know, that going through these scriptures and going through it with the past and, and getting to see the history there, it really uh, opens our eyes to how big of a deal it is that now we're a part of that family. You know, and getting to see what God's plan was and how significant it is that now all that's been wiped away and now we're in one man that there no longer is Jew and Gentile. And so we're going to go through all that, and we're going to go through a lot of different verses in, in Genesis. And so it's another one of those nights we're going to be going from verse to verse. And so I hope you guys can hold tight. But I just wanted to go and pray because it just feels like, I don't know, there's just like a heaviness tonight. I don't. It, it's a weird deal. And getting to talk with some of you guys, you know, you had some rough days, um, more than one of you guys. And it was just, it's on your mind and, and the battles that you guys had to go through today. So and let's just ask God to just to get rid of that so we can just focus on his word. So, yeah, Martin. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure I do. <laughs> and Lord, we do want to just pray for those guys' trip back over here, Lord, that you give them safe travels and, you know, with this little storm and everything, Lord, that it goes smooth and uh, keep all the crazy people out, and, you know, away from them and uh, just give them a great time in the car together too, Lord. That you can just be worshipped during that time and talked about. And Lord, I don't know what the deal is uh, tonight with the different things in our minds. And it just feels like there's a heaviness, Lord. There's a lot of battles going on. And Lord, this is a place that you know you've, you've made it so we can come and fellowship. And uh, we can just put our burdens on you. And uh, we can focus on what you have, Lord. So I thank you so much for making this a safe harbor for us to come to. And a safe place to be able to come to and, and actually give you the things that are weighing us down. And so, Lord, I just want to lift up the people that even shared with me before, just as they had a hard day. And, um, Lord, I ask that you just clear their minds, you know, of all the frustration that happened today. And to know that, you know what, it's a new day tomorrow. And uh, your mercies are new, and, and who knows how you're going to deal with things tomorrow, but it's a brand new day. And this one's over with, and now we get to worship you, and we get to learn about you, and we get to hear the awesome things that you've done for us, Lord, and what an encouragement it brings to our lives. And so, Lord, I ask you just clear our minds and take away the heaviness so we can focus completely on you, Lord. And uh, just give me the words and more of your understanding in these scriptures, Lord. These are very deep scriptures, and I definitely don't want to mess it up or portray something that is not of you. And so I just ask your Holy Spirit to speak through me, Lord. And uh, we love you and pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it. Last week we were talking about uh, it was one of my favorite parts, I told you guys that, of that chapter 2, and we just ended with in verse 10, where he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And just knowing that that's what we've been prepared for, that's what we're calling is, now we get to walk in these awesome things that God has set us up to walk in. And we know that he's got our hand through it. You know, you always go back to that psalm, and walking through that valley of the shadow of death, you know, he's walking with us. Like, we still walk through it, which is a crazy thing to me because it's, you go back to that, 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 uh, that movie Nemo and don't swim through the canal, you know, swim over. 
And it could be one of those things where he's like, I'll, I'll, I got you. You walk through there, and, and, or you can just take us completely out of it. But the thing is, is that he allows us to go through those things. And we never understand it until it's all over with. And then we get to see like what Autumn's saying and just getting to learn the things he's teaching us through it. And it is so hard to go through it. But at the end, you're so grateful because you would have never learned those things had you not gone through them. And so just the things you guys are going through and stuff, just remember that God's prepared it. God's in control of it. He knows every little detail that's going on, the situations that are going on, and he's there holding your hand. And that's the thing the enemy does not want us to know, is that he's there comforting us. He wants to take that away from us because then we're lonely. You know, and then those thoughts can enter in and, and just destroy us. And so as he gets into this next part, what it is, it's this huge encouragement that Paul brings to these Gentile believers. I think it's awesome because I think most of us are Gentiles in here, right? Yeah? I don't know, is anybody 100% Jewish in here? I mean, that you know of. I'm sure we have a little, maybe a little bit of Jewish blood, but anyways, most of us in here, or I'd say all of us, are Gentiles. And so it's so neat, these scriptures right here, and what it's doing, it's going to apply right to us. And what Paul's talking with these guys over in Ephesus is he really wants to show them what it was before Christ came, and what our position on this earth was. And now what we are in Jesus Christ, and how we've been grafted into this tree, and we'll go over to Romans a little bit, because Romans just hits a lot on that, those scriptures. It's a great place to go and study to get more understanding. But it's such a neat thing that he wants to bring this encouragement to these believers there in this church, and to show them that, you know what, you might have some differences with those Jewish brothers, but you're all one guy now. <laughs> you're all one in Jesus Christ now, which was a hard deal for them, because there was conflict that happened in between those two uh, nations, or people groups, or however you look at it or the people group in the rest of the world, being the Gentiles. So let's read verses 11 through 13 to start off. So it says in, in uh, chapter 2 there of Ephesians, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the whole interesting thing is that I started thinking through this. I'm like, okay, we're all people. If you guys have been around Jewish people, they have the same characteristics as a person would have, the eyes and the nose and everything else. And so it's these people groups, and they, well, we all came from one person. And so it's really interesting to try to figure out, well, what's why is there this difference there? Why all of a sudden do we need to be grafted back into a tree that all started out with one person or a couple, right? And it really gets you to thinking, like, what was the whole process there? And that's why we're going to go back over to Genesis to kind of get a history lesson on what is going on and why nations started and, and, and why the Jewish nation. And, and there's going to definitely be some questions that are not going to be answered because they aren't really given to us in the scripture. Like, why Abraham? So, to start off, go back over to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. And so when we get here right, right at the very first, where it's talking about with, uh, what happens with mankind, we see that in, in immediately mankind fails, right? And we fail hard. They've, we fail to maintain the fellowship with the Creator. You know, and, and a lot of the things, if you guys look there in chapter 3, verse 6, this is when Eve is there at the tree and she's talking to the snake or, or the devil. 
In verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And there's three aspects there that if you guys look over, and you probably have it if you have a study Bible, there's a verse, a cross-reference there, that's 1 John 2.16. And in, these are one of those scriptures that go right alongside of each other. And when I first was taught these ones, I was excited about it because I couldn't believe how blatant it was that they're describing each other. So back over in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And if you look at those, you have each of those when Eve's looking at the fruit. Because you have, okay, the lust of the flesh, you look back over, it says it's good for food. And then you have the next one, the lust of the eyes, and it says pleasant to the eyes. And then you have the last one, the pride of life, and it says desirable to make one wise. And it's interesting, right there at the very first, we have all that's in the world. And so here's mankind right before God, in failing to maintain that fellowship that the Creator had made. And the way that they failed is because of disobedience, right? And so God has this whole example. If you go through Genesis 3 through 7, you know, and then you end up with Cain and Abel, and you end up all these different things, and it gets sadder and sadder as it moves along as man starts to take control of their own lives. And it ends up just getting worse and worse and worse, and they start walking away from God until you get to the point in Genesis 6, 5, where it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That, that word continually there is day, every day. Every day throughout the whole day. It was just evil. And that's all that man ever thought about. And that was just man deciding, you know what? Self is so much more important than what God had for me. I'm not going to have God over my life. I'd rather have self, and so that's where I'm going to go with it. And what ends up with man is that it will become the evil all day long, every day. That's man being left to himself. And then what happens is God has to come in and do something horrible. It was completely righteous, but horrible in the sense that man came to such a point where God was sorry that he made him. And the Lord was sorry, it says, that he had made man on the earth, in verse 6, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man from whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then you go on the story with Noah. But it's interesting that here it is, man is set up in the very first. There's promises that are given to man as he's kicked out of the garden, right? We have the promise of the seed, which is an awesome deal. But the thing is, it's not given to a certain person, it's given to mankind, isn't it? That covenant, or that promise is given to all of us. So there isn't a difference yet between Gentiles and, 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 Jew, and Jews. So then if you move on, and you're going through there, you're like, okay, you look at that, and man did not succeed at all in that point. God had to come in there, step in, destroy all of man, except for one family. So now, rather than starting out with just two people, now he's starting out with a whole family. And we know it's Noah and his wife and his, two, his three sons and their wives. And that's who the new, uh, uh, where everybody's going to start coming from. So, over in Genesis 9 is where that starts out. In verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you, and, the, and then it goes on to talk about the, the animals will be afraid of them. Um, you know, you should eat the stuff that's out there now. And uh, then he goes into capital punishment right after that. And so he starts laying out some laws with them, and here's how man needs to go forward now. You've seen this whole destruction. And then he goes on after that, and he gives them the promise. 
that he'll never again, and it's interesting that he uses, he says that he'll never again use the earth to destroy man again, as far as the flood. And so the rainbow is established, right? And I know you guys have probably done a little research on that, and just a neat thing about how the rainbow is, and I won't go into that, but that covenant is made with man. Again, who is it made to? All of mankind, right? It's all mankind. It's not just set up for one person or one people group. So now God's starting out with this family, and it starts going again, and it seems like it's going to go okay, but then Ham has to step in there and mess things up <laughs> because you still have this sin problem that's in there. Sin is not being taken care of. And as you get to see in Genesis that it's now the sin thing is becoming more and more to where you're starting to see, wow, these are different pointed things, and it almost seems hopeless because man keeps falling into sin. And then what you come up to is in 11.9, Genesis 11.9, we come to the Tower of Babel. And this is one of those other places that in history where all of a sudden God stops everything again. And the Tower of Babel is a really interesting place in Scripture because there's a lot of weird interpretations of what happened here. And we'll go ahead and read through it a little bit, and I'll tell you guys some of the things and things that don't make sense that maybe you've heard about. And, uh, and yeah, we'll just see what God's doing here, and we'll read it as it is and with the Scriptures that we have to get our conclusions. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and that they found a plain in the, in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had, uh, they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they pur purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and, uh, and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Okay. Some of the conclusions people have taken from this is saying that God came to discipline these men because they're building a tower trying to reach up to heaven so they could be equal with God. These guys had to be idiots to do that because they went out and found a plain, one of the lowest places, probably at sea level, to try to build up to heaven. Usually uh, there's mountains, remember, at this time? Okay, the ark got lodged up in the mountains. So if you're trying to get up to heaven, it's probably smarter to go and find a place on top of a mountain and then start building from there. So I think we can conclude that's probably not where they're going for. It does say they were building up to the heavens, but if you go back and you look at a lot of the temples that have been built throughout the ages, the, the Mayans, um, the Incas, the, uh, the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, a lot of them, what their whole purpose was is astrology. If you know a lot of the, about the history and the pyramids and different things like that, it has to do a ton with astrology. I mean, if you guys get into the pyramids, it is unbelievable what those guys did. I mean, just to see the digression of man and how we can't even figure out some of the stuff they did. I don't know if you guys have ever studied one. Just one point I'll make is that, you know, the pharaoh that was buried inside of one of the, the ones, I can't remember which it is, but they actually had a one-by-one one empty space that shot out the side of the pyramid and see each one of these pharaohs had a birth star. And what would happen is every time it was his birthday, that star would perfectly line up and come, and you could look from where the guy's head was to where he was laid, and you could see that star. A one-by-one one place into the middle of the, the, the um, pyramid. 
crazy things like that. There were so many things done like that, but a lot of this stuff was around astrology. And they believed back, clear back in the Mesopotamians, what they would do is they would actually go in in the very top part of their tower, and they were kind of set up where they're kind of like the Incas, where they're stepped up, if you've seen those kind of pyramids, you know, in, the, in Central America and stuff. And they would take that inner room, and they basically painted it as the stars, and they would paint it as the different five planets that they knew of at that time. And, and that was kind of their place where they'd worship their God, because then they put the throne right there. And it was interesting because they were taking from God the Father and knowing that, you know, he's in the heavens and they're putting it right here on earth and trying to set up a place for their God. So a lot of people, what they'll say is that, you know, they conclude that. What they're doing is they're trying to just get into this, this weird place and trying to make a place that's associated with the heavens there. They weren't actually trying to get up into heaven. Another one is that they use asphalt. And in verse 3, when the asphalt, when they use that word, it's the same word as pitch that was used on the ark. And so they believe that they're waterproofing it because they didn't believe in God's promise that he wasn't going to flood again. Which, I mean, who knows? The thing is, they built in a plane again. If you're going to avoid a flood, you're probably going to go up the mountains and you're going to try to build off the mountains to get away from the flood. And you know at this time, they all knew it from history. They had been passed down um, from their relatives on what exactly happened in the flood, that it was the whole earth that was covered. So what is the conclusion we can come to? And that's why I want to go in back into the scripture. In verse 4, it says, And they came to let us... And they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What did we read back over 9-1? You guys remember? What did God tell them to do? So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And here's man, and what they've done after the flood is they've gathered themselves together. And you have to know this is everybody. This is the whole family from Noah. They all gather themselves there in this place. Nimrod seems to be the one that's kind of over it. If you look back over in chapter, I think it's chapter 10. Yeah, it talks about Nimrod there in, in verse 8. It says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began, he began to be a mighty man, or mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Erek, Akid, and Clineth, uh, or I don't know if I said that, I didn't say that one, but whatever, in the land of Shinar. Shinar is that plain that he was out there. This guy became like the head honcho over there, and then later on he goes and builds Nineveh. Okay? So with this guy, uh, they go in there and they build this thing, but they want to make a name for themselves, not for God. They didn't listen to him. They gathered themselves together, and you guys know that any time somebody that is not led by God or there's a group of people, it doesn't end well, does it? Especially, here's a here's neat thing, is that when you have so many people that are just evil together, what happens with it? Is it all of a sudden one day they just all turn good? We already read that it gets worse and worse, doesn't it? We can look back at Israel. If you guys go read the book of Judges, what happens over and over with those guys? As soon as a judge dies or something, what does it say? They turn back and did what? What was right in their own eyes, Right? Every single time, then God's got to raise up another judge to come back and correct them. And that's what man does. Without God, man will always get worse and worse and worse. And so it's out of God's mercy that he, before it got so bad, because there's the thing, is even if there was light there, because we know that Shem, you know, the descendants came out of him that were pretty good, right? That's the line of where the, the, uh, Abraham comes from. Anyways, if you left all those people there, the, the, the light will be washed out after a while. Because you can even look at Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, look at Lot there. Even, even the things that were going on, it was just a hard thing for that light to stay there. And so what would happen is man would get worse and worse, and what would happen with God? He'd have to come in and destroy again, wouldn't he? 
because they'd be doing evil in his sight continually again. And so it's interesting that right there he stops it. And what he does is he confuses their language. And so now the guys can't get along. So each family group now can't speak with the other family group to try to get anything done. I don't know if you guys have had to ever work. You know, sometimes you have people come up from Mexico and they try to help out and you don't know Spanish, and so you're kind of like drawn in the dirt or drawing pictures of what you want, and the communication is really hard to get something done. I remember uh, we were down there, and I was 21 years old, and I'm leading this group of uh, teenagers down in Mexico to build a house in three days. Crazy. I don't know why they let people do that. But I have these kids from Montana. Uh, they're awesome. Fun group. We had a blast. And I had 30 of them, and then you have a couple leaders in there. Well, my Spanish was horrible. I knew, like, street, I knew window, I knew door. And so what I would do is I'd draw a square on a piece of paper, and this was a bigger house, this was 22 by 22, and I'd be like, okay, ventana, which was window. And I'd just point at the paper, because I had no idea how to say, where do you want the window? I was just like, window. <laughs> and so they were like, it took a little bit, they'd point where they wanted it. Anyways, the end of it, this guy wanted to put in a special window, which we hadn't done before. It was the custom. So I put the window on another street around the other side when they wanted it on the front side of the street. Guess what we had to do? That whole communication messed everything up because now the whole house, they don't have their, their nice big window that he's a welder so that he made specially for this side so he could check out all the neighbors and who's going by on the street. You know, now he's got to look at the ones probably that he didn't like. So I got the whole group together and I was like, you guys, I think we can lift this house up and turn it. <laughs> and it was like, well, let's see if we can do this. Let's try teamwork. We did all this team building things. And the thing was, we, hadn't, we didn't have the stucco or anything on it yet. It was just all framing. And we had the sheets of plywood on the top. Still very heavy. This is 22 by 22 with four rooms. So we all got in there, and I was the lead voice on it, and we did it. It was cool. I, I was scared to death that one of them was going to drop on their foot, which would have crushed it. And we, we were in Mexico, so you can just figure that out. But the whole communication there, it was so hard to figure out where these people wanted their stuff. And that was very simple. Now, imagine trying to build this huge tower. Of course, it's just destroyed now. Any, any, any uh, progress is just completely out the window. So what happens is then people started moving away. And God's the one that had to scatter them. Like he asked them to do in the first place, go fill the earth. So now God had to do it. But it was in his mercy because if man would have kept going in that same place, he would have exalted himself because they wanted to make a name for themselves, right? They wanted to build their own new little place that they were going to exalt themselves in or however it was going to go. And the thing is God just steps in and he goes, no, by my mercy, this is what's going to happen. And we see the birth of nations. And that's where the nations come from. It's really neat to see that critics of the Bible even agree that there had to be one language that all languages came from. Either that, or there had to be other languages somehow created. And a linguist, as they go back and study, the thing with languages is so complicated, it wasn't just little noises made out and, and certainly you know, tried to evolve that way. Most linguists that are very serious, they would disagree with evolution of language that it is very hard that they see it all combined and, and together. And they can't explain words, which I didn't really understand this. Maybe you guys will, but even the word raspberry, which I thought was weird. They said that the phonetics and all the, the sounds, those two words shouldn't go together according to how language would have evolved and how people explain it. Just an interesting fact. So you guys can go check that one out. And now every time you think about raspberry, you're going to be like, that's a God-ordained word. <laughs> and they are. They're delicious, aren't they? So... God makes these nations, and he, he spreads everybody all over. By his mercy, by his grace, he does this, and all the nations are born there in chapter 11, 9. Now, obviously, by this time in history, mankind has definitely failed to maintain their fellowship with his creator, right? 
So God stepped in in this absolute hopelessness, and he spread them out, and he says, uh, now nothing that they purpose. And I found this very interesting there in verse 6. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they proposed to do will be withheld from them. That power that was there of all them knowing. And so then God says, you know what, come let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another. And then he scatters them. The thing is, is that we knew man was going back down that same trail. And you guys remember last week we ended with that verse in Jeremiah? In Jeremiah 10.23, it talks about man does not know how to walk, basically. Like, he does not know where to put his feet. That he has to be uh, uh, told or, or explained or given the word of God to show where he's supposed to take his steps at, or else it's just going to end in, you know, just getting more and more evil and stepping off the deep end, getting more of that decay like we talked about last week. And so his mercy stepped in. Now over in Genesis 12, we see Abraham introduced here. And Abram, at this time is what he was called, until he had the covenant of circumcision, where God changed his name. But Abraham, Abram went right here in chapter 12, is given the promise that he's going to be blessed, and he's going to have, you know, more, uh, uh, the family's going to be bigger and uh, more than the stars. And I guess we'll just read it because I'm messing it up here. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Which is awesome, because that comes later. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is all of us being blessed by what God's going to do through them. But this is the first time where we see God take somebody now, and he's setting them apart from all other men. We know that before, if you guys look back at all the people, it says that they were the ones that started following what the Lord was doing, and he saw the righteousness, right? It talks about um, Noah's faith and how he was set apart. So it's really interesting that now God's chosen this man. He was faithful, and God knew what was going to happen there. And then he gives him the covenant later on uh, of circumcision. You know, I know we're jumping through these things fast, but we don't need to go over each little detail. But over in chapter 17 of Genesis... You know, this is after he's had Ishmael and all that's gone on. But it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for everlasting covenant to be uh, God to you and your descendants after you. And then he goes on and he talks about um, the circumcision. And he goes through that which was made by hands. The reason we recognize that is because the circumcision that we get now through Jesus Christ, that grace is not by hands, right? It's the circumcision of the heart, that cutting off the flesh. And so this sign is given, and this is where one of those places that now they're standing out. And every Jewish person will refer back to this, and this is a big distinction between them and Gentiles. I mean, this is the major thing that God steps in and says, here's my covenant with this man and the nation that I'm going to make him. And it's really interesting that before this, God has not chosen anybody to give his oracles to. 
He's done words and he's done certain things, but there's a lot of promises that are going to come through this nation. But he's also going to ask them to stand apart from all the other nations. He's going to ask them to do certain things and certain rituals that other nations don't do. He's going to ask them completely just to eat these certain things, the clean and the unclean, and what's holy and what's unholy. And he's going to give them this whole example of what it is to be following the Almighty God, what it is to be a nation after his own heart. And we know, unfortunately, that they failed you know, several times in doing this, which just shows the humanity, it shows that sin that's still there. But God's promise was always faithful. He continues to give it. And it's so cool to see God and his character through this nation. Because we got to see mercy given out to man, even in the Tower of Babel. But as this nation is given these promises and said he'll fulfill these things if they do these things, well, God always steps back in and is faithful, isn't he? I mean, there's a couple times where he was like, I'm done with these people. You guys remember with Moses, he's like, forget them. <laughs> Moses is like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know, and he steps in for him, which is awesome, because you know that the heart given to Moses was God's heart. He was just showing his mercy towards them. And so this nation gets set apart, and the covenant is, is made with him. Um, but they fail over and over again. And through this nation, his oracles are delivered. And you guys can find this over in Romans. And here's where we're going to start going back over into the New Testament. So turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Romans chapter 3. Verse 1. And this is the start, and you guys want to just check out and see the different things in God's plans for Israel and, and, and that whole uh, comparison between us and, and or the Gentiles and the Jews. It's an awesome book to go through. But in this chapter, in verse uh, 1 and 2, it says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And they had this important role that the promises were given to them, the promises for mankind, what was going to happen. And not only that, but the Messiah was going to come through them. And God needed to have this line that he was going to set up that needed to be exactly the way God wanted to set it up so that we could go back and trace back and see his mercy, his grace, his love, all these characteristics of God and how he dealt with this nation. And I think it's a beautiful thing because if we never had the nation set apart and it was all just mankind, we wouldn't get to see that there's identity and there's a separation that needed to take place from what sin was. And not only that, but then in this nation, we, then we were taught that there's no way we can fulfill that holiness that we've been called to by ourselves. But God is faithful and he's merciful and he always came back to them. And if you guys don't see that, go and, go and look at the prophet Haggai, right? I mean, that is one of those, those, those minor prophets that you look at and that, see what God asked him to do and you're like, I'm so glad I was never that guy. <laughs> Some of the things, but the awesome example of even seeing Israel play the harlot several times and God go out there and just like what he told Haggai, go and clean her up and bring her back into your home. It's like, oh, that's so awesome. We wouldn't get to see any of that if God hadn't set apart this nation unto himself. And so as you go through and you see these different covenants and, and what God had done for this nation, that's when we're going to get up to where Paul's going to start talking about what's going on with the Gentiles and how they're set, or what their, their place is now. But he had to set Israel aside for his plan of salvation that it might be accomplished um, and have Christ come through that line. So now in Ephesians, Paul is explaining the age of grace, and that's where we're at. And I know there's some different things you can go through, and you can look at the Old Testament. We just skipped over a bunch there. But there's a lot of prophecies, a lot of different things of God dealing with Israel. And then we come here in Ephesians where Paul is explaining this age of grace or the church age. 
And this is where the Jews and the Gentiles become one to bear fruit unto God, right? If you guys are there, <clears throat> sorry. Romans, we're actually, we're not going to go over Ephesians yet, just kidding. Romans 11. Just about that being grafted in. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through these scriptures here. Romans 11, 17. You know, it talks about the, uh, the fig tree, right? And just how we've been grafted in, how the branches have been broken off that decided that they didn't want to have a part with Jesus Christ and that we've been grafted in. And verse 17, it says, And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, sorry, not fig, olive, wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. And if you guys read through that whole section, you find out that it's so cool because with a natural olive tree or, or, or one that's uh, not wild, if you try to graft in a wild olive branch into one of those trees, it doesn't work. It's impossible. You won't bear any fruit. The branch doesn't survive. But the opposite way it does. It's interesting. You can take it from the other olive tree and put it into a wild one, and it will work. So it's against nature, and it says that. If you guys read through it, it says that it's against nature to graft in uh, the, the wild olive tree into the cultivated olive tree. And it's so cool to see that that's impossible because that's what God had to do with us. And just as we're grafted in, that's what Paul's going to talk about as he goes through Ephesians. And I know I keep saying that, and we're actually going to get into it now. <laughs> so back over in Ephesians. And I'm serious this time. So in verse 13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once... Uh, once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so that whole being off or, or, or in that distance there, if you guys look at that whole history and how God set it up and he chose out this one nation among all the other ones because the whole deal is he dealt with the people group or the mankind just to show, you know what, this doesn't work either. And it, it's so cool that God does not let us take any excuses. If you look at man, he's always trying to say, well, if you would have just let us all go together and you would have started it out, we would all would have been fine. <laughs> but we have that example. It didn't work. Okay, well, if you would have just chose one family to follow after you and they would have seen an awesome miracle of yours, they would all follow you. No, it's not going to happen. Okay, well, just take one nation then. <laughs> Devote them to you and you'll see that man will follow you. And there's just absolutely no excuse for man and we are just lost in our sin. Just that conclusion that you come to, but then what it talks about and with us Gentiles is God completely separated this nation. They got to do some awesome things for the Lord. They got to build this tabernacle that mapped out what heaven is like. I mean, what an awesome thing to be given, to be able to do. To have the God of the universe come down and you actually get to see some physical brightness, something right in front of you to come down in that holy of holies. To get to see a man's face glowing because he'd been meeting with God. You know? To get to see all these miracles that he did, just the exodus and all the things that happened with the exodus, these battles that were won, that were completely impossible, run by 300 men. I mean, it's just over and over again, all these things that this nation got to see, us being outside of it, being Gentiles, not even being a part of it. Completely lost, hopeless is what the scriptures say later. We were hopeless outside of that. We were in death. And then it says, but now, and you guys remember that we talked about last week in verse 4, it says, but God... Here's another one of those. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off uh, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And automatically, this should bring you guys back to the temple. Because when it's talking about you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, well, the thing is, is that when people want to be uh, reunited or, or, or pardoned of their sin or, or have that, um, that fellowship restored with God, what would happen is they would take those sacrifices to the temple, right? 
And you guys know that the temple, there actually was a, po- a place for the Gentiles. There is a place outside of the walls, though. Like us as Gentiles, we weren't allowed to go in there. We weren't allowed to go in there. And now it's talking about because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not just a lamb, not just some animal, but now we get to be brought near into that. And it's an awesome picture. Wearsby, um, in one of his books, he, he I'm trying to find where the quote or Okay, here it is. One of the archaeologists, they found an inscription from Herod's temple. And this is what it said, because they, they had a part of the Gentiles. And this is what it said on an actual rock. It says, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will, ha- will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's how serious it was that we as Gentiles were not allowed in that place. And it wasn't just like allowed into the Holy Holies or the Holy area or even in the courtyard. We weren't allowed in there. We were just out in this place where we were supposed to be just praying, and, and that's the closest we could ever get to it. That's the closest we ever could get to God. Now, the Jews had another step up on us because they were actually able to go inside. And if you think about it, it's like, wow, I'm so glad we don't have to do that anymore. You know, that we get to be represented by Jesus Christ right in front of the throne. It says that we get to go in there and we get to be bold, right? That that, that, that veil was torn. And so it's an awesome thing what God's done for us through his blood. In verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished his flesh. The, uh, in, this is funny because Shelly and I were going over this word because I kept messing it up, so I will mess it up for you guys. Enmity. There we go. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And when it talks about that peace and him being our peace, it's so neat to see because we've been brought right with him again. Now, I don't think any of you guys remember, maybe, I don't know if you guys, any of you history buffs probably do, but the British Prime Minister, Sir Neville Chamberlain, what had happened is right before World War II, he came back and he says, peace in our time, peace with honor. It's one of his sayings. This is right after he went and met with Germany, met with, with Hitler. This is a year before he invaded Poland. And he came back from Germany saying this in the UK, and he was convinced that there was peace. And almost exactly one year later to the day, it was in September, he goes to war with Poland. And the thing was is that this guy was so convinced that he had peace, but unfortunately his mission of peace had failed. Wearsby, what he had said is that he read somewhere that from 1500 B.C. to 850 A.D., there was 7,500 eternal covenants eternal covenants, like peace agreements, agreed on among various nations with the hope of bringing peace. But no covenant had lasted longer than two years throughout that time period. And you guys can imagine, I mean, just look at now. It's, it's such a joke when they want to go and try to make peace because you know it's not going to last. I mean, man cannot be at peace. And we've talked about this in the other times too, those other nights, that it just doesn't work. Man can seek peace, can look at it, can try to create it, but it's not going to happen unless it's through Jesus Christ. And so the eternal God, what he's done with us is he actually has made an eternal covenant that will remain with us, right? Through Jesus' blood. Jesus is our peace. God has taken away that separation. 
And I find it so interesting. This is why one of the reasons I wanted to go back to Babel and spend a little bit of time on it is because over, if you guys look over in Acts 2, Acts chapter 2. Verse 4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that, they, that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And I'm not going to well, go through Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, yeah, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then right after that, Peter goes into a sermon. And then right after that, it says that they were cut to the heart, right? The Holy Spirit come and he just, I cut them. It was awesome. Such a neat thing to get to see Peter do that. And then what happens is these guys are around, and you know that what happened is the Spirit continued just to grow these men up until he sent them out. And why I think it's so awesome is because you get to see that these walls were taken down. What it's talking about in Ephesians, you get to see that taken down there in these walls that were set up clear back in Babel, in, in, at the Tower of Babel. That God had to set it up so that man would not make self number one, would not exalt himself over God, and God brings him back to a place. And now when he can be exalted through his Holy Spirit, because you guys saw that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that that happened. And now what gets to happen is he brings them all back and he reverses what he did in Babel. And he gives his message out to everybody in their own language. Until it comes later where we get to see, and it says that every, t- every tribe, tongue, and nation will be before his throne, what? Bowing down, giving him praises that he deserves. And if you, get the, if you get the understanding of that, and if you guys don't, please study more in depth on what it means to be a Gentile that now has been accepted into his plan. To get to be adopted as his children. Because the thing is, is that he could have just remained with that one nation and it could have stuck out and even if it could have transferred up into heaven. I mean, what would happen if that whole model that was done here on earth and we only had our certain spot up in heaven that we could only see God from, but yet the Jews are able to get closer to him? Have you ever thought about that? You know, it's an interesting thing because they're still his chosen people. And, and to me, it's like, well, why wouldn't he be able to do that? It's God. It would still be completely fair. We'd still have salvation. We'd be with him. we get to see him. But it's so neat that he made us one, and he talks about that in just a little bit. He made us that one. He doesn't see that barrier anymore. What the nation of Israel had done, he completed in them. And I'm being very careful not to say that he's written them off now, and they have absolutely no place, because if you read on in Romans, there's a big spot for him still. He's still working with them. However, what he needed to use them for and get into that place of salvation and using them to get to Jesus Christ, that Messiah, and to give us an example of what it is to be holy. Now he brings them together. And one of the funny parts about the church, if you guys go back and look, is that before the Gentiles actually came into the church, church there was no problems. At least they were recorded here. 
Now, I'm not saying there never would have been problems because there's still people in there. But if you guys go back in Acts 10, when Peter is called to go to the Gentiles, that's when the church starts having problems. So if there's problems in the church, it's because of us Gentiles. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so it was such a hard thing for them because here's a whole nation that's been set apart unto God that they're supposed to eat certain things, they're supposed to dress certain ways, they're supposed to be involved in certain things or ways, traditions, the, the feasts and all this. And then they have all these other nations that are coming in and messing everything up. They were buddy-buddy with God, and now all of a sudden you got all these runts that have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what it means to be holy. And that there was all, it caused so many problems within the church. Just this battle going between the Gentiles and the Jews until they finally they had to go across over to uh, Jerusalem, and they had to come up with the decree to Jerusalem, right? And to where they settled, and they said, you guys don't need to be circumcised. But it was such a pride issue, and that's when we read in the very first one that says, you guys are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. And it was kind of this, your filth. Because their whole lives they've been taught what was holy and what was unholy, and a Gentile was unholy. If you were going to go have a feast and you just dealt with a Gentile and you touched them, you had to go wash and do a ceremonial wash to even go eat your food. And all of a sudden now we're called children alongside of them? What did we do to deserve that in the first place, being Gentiles? And how angry would you be if you were a Jewish person and you had this whole culture? You could trace it clear back. And then you got these people that have no idea about their identity, their history, or anything that are all of a sudden like, hey, we got the same Messiah. <laughs> what a slap to the face. But you know, God says right there in his scriptures, he said he did it to make them jealous. Because they wouldn't wake up. And I think it's a beautiful thing in the church when you get to see Jews and Gentiles together. Because the Jews really help us understand what it was to be holy and to set apart for him. Not that holiness brings salvation, but just to get to see that set apart and how serious God is about that. It is a very serious thing, but yet we get to be introduced to them to show them that it's by grace. We're a bunch of fools that have no idea what it means to be holy and to follow these rules, but God still loves us the same. And that's when you go on and you read the rest of that, and it says, Now for you no longer are strangers, in verse 19, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together, fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's beautiful. It is an awesome thing because God, Jesus Christ is the whole sinner, isn't he? You guys know the building, when you have a cornerstone, that cornerstone is your key point. Any of these buildings downtown, they actually do have cornerstones that the brick was built on. Now, it's one thing to have one stone that's nice and smooth on one side, because you can throw it on there, and all the other sides on it, they, know what, they, can, look, they can look pretty bad. Because you're just going to fill them in with mortar and stuff. But you really need to have that one edge nice and smooth, so the rest of the building goes up nice and straight. That cornerstone has to guide two other walls, and that's where your square point comes. So any of your cornerstones are out, your whole building's going to be out. And it's so cool that he does not put law in there and does not say the law is that cornerstone. <laughs> Thank the Lord it's not that way because we'd be all following that law. Instead, he puts that cornerstone in there. And us as stones, we get to follow Jesus, that cornerstone, to be straight. And I love that he brings in building because that's what I do. You've got to have straight tile, straight floor, straight grout joints. You have to have it. It has to be square. And so it's so neat that God, that's what he's done with us and he's brought us in. It's all about him and it's neat where he's brought us to this point and thank the Lord that we get grafted into that tree. And praise God that he made us a part of his family, that he calls us a part of his household, that we get to go before that throne and we don't have a place that's separate. 
And it's so neat to see how God's worked that out and the things that he's shown us. Now, you guys go so much deeper in this study, and I really hope you do. Just start going and researching and seeing all these differences, and you really get to see what God has done in uh, Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And it just brings this whole part where you just can just bow down to him and say thank you <laughs> and just praise him for what he's done. So let's go ahead and pray. And Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for your scriptures and the understanding that you bring uh, through your scriptures, Lord, about what you've done for us, and not just what you've done for us, but the place that you've given us, and a place right by your side, and you didn't ask us to jump through a bunch of hoops to get there, Lord. You said, just believe, and we just need to fall down and just believe in you, Lord, and praise you for that. Lord, all those people that are out there that are lost and thinking that they have to do something to get your pleasure and to get your favor, Lord, I ask that you please just open their eyes through your word. All those other religions that are claiming to use your word, Lord, I ask that you just bring those youth to you, Lord. The ones that haven't been uh, you know, deceived by over years of, of the lies that these men have brought them, Lord. I pray you guard, guard their minds and that they would see you and that they would really search in the scriptures for you and get to see this awesomeness that you brought us to. That it's absolutely not by works, Lord, that it's only through your grace that we get to be counted a part of your household and that you're using us to build up that temple and that we get to be a part in your plan, Lord, and just being grafted in. And so, Lord, just continue to bring understanding to us as we go through your scriptures. And, Lord, again, I just pray for everybody that their days tomorrow that they would be focused on you. Lord, that tomorrow as they go through hard times, they could look and see, you know what? I'm a part of your family. No matter what the enemy says or other people, I'm one of your children, and I get to do what you've asked me. I get to walk in those ways you've already put out there for me, and that I know that in my weakness, you're going to show your strength. So, Lord, just have those scriptures come back to our minds. Bring us that comfort that you promise us. You're such a good God to us, Lord, and we just pray all this in your name. Amen.